1: Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 62. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Joe Moro, The percussionist duo, who are both members of Adams for Peace, have released their incredible debut record, entitled Blue Marble Sky. In today's episode, we're talking with Joey Ruonka and Moro Rafosco about how they originally met the new record and its collaborations, and what it's like working for some of the biggest names in music. Here we go. Our guests today are both incredible musicians who have finally decided to start their own band. After both being a part of Tom York's Adams for Peace supergroup, they're finally releasing their debut record, entitled Blue Marble Sky. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Joey Ruonka and Mauro Rafosco from Jomoro. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we? Hi there. Very well, thanks. Now, uh, congratulations to both of you on the album Blue Marble Sky. It is out now. Um, it's an incredibly gorgeous record. It's very textured and very layered, which is what we would expect from from both of you. Um for those who haven't heard the record yet, it is a lovely kind of blend of organic percussion and electronic um bits and pieces there. I, I want to get to the record in a second, but I'm Curious for both of you, as very well-known, well uh, world-renowned percussionists, where you both got your start in playing the drums or, or playing percussion. Uh, can I go first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you
2: go first. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm a big football, soccer fan, and I, I used to go to stadiums, and, and that's where I got the love for drums, because in the stadium, people play drums a lot, play samba
0: and that's that's where depression comes from cool and um i've been playing drums my whole life it was always just something i gravitated to since uh early childhood apparently and uh and i always you know played in bands and played drums from a from a very early age and was even you know started playing shows with bands professionally, you know, as a young teenager. So in Los Angeles.
1: Was there like um, a defining point for both of you where you remember, where you kind of went, I can do this as a career. I can make a living off of this instead of just like a a love for, for playing. Uh,
2: yeah, it is, it was kind of a, a defining moment. First was like the defining moment of like to to get an affirmation of the passion I had for drumming. And I was watching this this symphony orchestra and the tambourine player just like hit one just one note in the tambourine, you know, like and it's like an overture kind of thing. And I was just like, Oh my god, that's amazing. You know, something so simple but so powerful. So that was like And then when I was 19, uh, after I finished high school, uh, that I, you know, you you have like a a limbo, you know, like, you know, it's the moment that you decide what you're gonna do. And that was like, when I really decided, oh yeah, this is what I'm gonna do. And I, this is what I have to face, you know, in order to become a musician. And, And that was, I remember very clearly.
1: That's very cool. Joey, what about yourself?
0: Yeah, that is that is cool and I I had a very similar experience around that same age of 18-19 where um um it it was almost like I accepted <laughs> uh that this was what I truly wanted to do and was willing to uh you know, face face any of my f- fears of negative consequences about, uh, doing it that I just loved music and loved playing and, and, um, and everything else was, was going to have to, uh, work with that sort of passion. But before that, it was, it is kind of crazy. It was sort of like what I was always doing. It
1: is, um, I think very exciting time when you can kind of work out that that love and that passion that you've got for something can be put into a career. It can be a livelihood, which is always um, a lovely thing. The the record. It's not the first time that you gentlemen have worked together. Um, people might know you from a very little known band, Adams for Peace, with other three other gentlemen. Uh, Tom York Flea and, and Nigel Godrick. I'm curious, that uh, first album was, I think, around 2012, 2013 maybe. What has been happening in between that time? What got you guys now in 2021 or 2020 to uh, put together an album yourselves?
0: Um, well, after you know, solidly doing stuff with Adams for Peace um, for, for a couple of years. Um, there was an initial event, which was um, our friend um, has a fashion line and uh, he asked us to uh, do music for for one of their shows. And he usually um, would have Tom... Tom would be involved in that and uh so I I don't think Tom was the timing was 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 bad for him or something like that and and so I think Tom recommended you know see if see if Morrow and Joey can can maybe do something and so that experience of uh coming together and uh making music outside of uh, the side of atoms for peace for something different, um, and ha- uh, gave us sort of motivation and confidence to to uh, keep going with it. And so, Samaro um, after that came not not long after that came out to L.A. for a couple days, and uh, we borrowed some studio time from uh flea who had a, a studio uh and recorded um, some ideas and and we 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 had ideas prepared, but we got together and and worked on on those and uh and that was the beginning of what ended up uh becoming this this project Joe Moreau. Um, it's kind of a long a long process, but um, then we got busy if there were a couple of years um, that went by and uh, and then um, we did another show for this fashion line, and at that point we we you know had some of these ideas that we've been you know sort of slowly working on. And, um, and after that, it was, you know, clear that we had to, we had to pull it together and, and it just kept the, the pieces kept falling into place from there. Um, I, the next, the next thing that happened was the Sony masterworks, um, got involved and, um, that sort of, um gave us the opportunity to tighten up what we had and then also to uh to reach out to some uh collaborators for vocals um to you know turn some of the some of the the pieces into uh into more developed songs in that way but um still i think the um most of the most of the record is is instrumental music
1: I did want to, um, touch on some of the collaborators because between, uh, between the two of you, just, um, having a look at the, I guess if you want to call it like the resume <laughs> of the people that you guys have worked with, is just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, for the people listening to the podcast who might not be aware, I'm going to run through a very quick list and then I'll get to the question, but, um, you guys have worked with the likes of Beck, David Byrne, The Chili Peppers, R.E.M., Nora Jones, Tracy Chapman, Roger Waters, uh, Johnny Cash, Nelly Furtado, Dirty Projectors, Paul McCartney. I'm very curious, when you are coming up with an album like this and you've you've got some ideas for songs, how do you pick um, who the collaborators are going to be? Because I feel that you guys would have some of the most impressive little black books in the business um and would kind of be able to be like yep yeah, let's you know maybe reach out to this person or that person what what uh yeah what elements are there in in deciding who who features on a song
2: it's uh i think it's a uh, i don't think you can open that black book and just call people randomly you know? <laughs> But. <laughs> But it, it, it has a lot to do with what these songs or the idea of the songs require. Uh, and also it and, and, and has to do also with some, some very some aspects of like people's availability and people willingness and also uh, you know if if they're not committed with something else and that you know that that is is part of the process and but i think you know the way we chose the collaborators is based on what the music was it's just making a connection you know like you you have this this palette of songs and say like, oh yeah that might be a good connection with you know this person over here you know when you play those games when you have a colon on this side and then you you have a colon on that side. It's a little bit of that.
1: And um, yeah, some of the features on the record include uh, Lucius and Sharon Van Etten. Um, I'm curious how the uh, the Sharon Van Etten track "Nest" came about. It's a beautiful, kind of moody and ethereal song, I guess, where did yeah? first, where did the song idea for that one come from? And then how did, um, Sharon get involved?
0: Um, it was, um, one of our original, uh, instrumental pieces, um, and, uh, that we had, we had worked, we had worked on and it was very, Com- compared to some of the other tracks, like Mirror or no air, it was very sort of sparse and ethereal and um, um, I had recently worked with Sharon on um, a song playing drums for her for a song in her album um, and uh, you know we we um, had a really good time hanging out and and I just sort of had a feeling that um, she would respond to the music and she would do something. So um, uh, fortunately I was right. <laughs> um, you know, I but I re- we really specifically thought like, oh, oh, wow, she would, you know, do something on this. And then it would, you know, maybe that would... Uh, inspire us to develop the music further and that's exactly what happened so it was it was uh it was really cool and that that is kind of a great example of like the our process of collaborating we're just sending tracks out and it was time you know of its time too. like like uh uh you know that time in particular like we were all so incredibly isolated Um, but then also like you know I I feel like less inhibited in terms of creativity and and vision and stuff like that like you know it's like well I could hear Sharon doing something on this so I'm just she gave me her number I'm just going to text her and see Send it, send her an mp3 and see what she says. And she immediately was like, You know, this is this is awesome. I like, I love this music. I'm totally gonna write something for this. And you know, then I think like four months later, we got we we pulled it all together.
1: It is an, a beautiful track and it's um incredible collaborations. I'm um curious for both of you, predominantly as uh, percussionists or drummers, how do you approach songwriting? Um, in cause I feel that obviously that the most traditional form of songwriting or like sitting down to write a song is that you might have lyrics or you might have, you know, like a melody line, whatever it may be without lyrics there. And without maybe a melody line, how do you find that start of a song?
2: Little tiny melodies <laughs> that that become <laughs> little little <laughs> motives, you know, that become songs. Uh, it's it's an interesting process, I have to say that. Uh, taking taking upon the responsibility of finishing up a record and and uh, it's it's something that you have to face something new you have to face in our, at least in, in my career, you know, I don't think I ever have to face this kind of thing of writing, uh, and just gotta, just gotta do it. You have to sit down and practice, you know, practice this task and try be humble to, to try make mistakes, you know, like, Uh, until you find something that's like pleasant that you think that you you trust you know like some what was the quote someone gave me about art some a friend said that art is like you kind of don't know what you're doing but you just have to keep doing and you gotta somehow trust that in the end something is gonna come and it's sort of like that, you know, we, 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 we force ourselves to, to get away from our comfort zone of, like, just sitting back behind a band and just establishing a rhythm pattern to taking the front of, like, creating, you know, like, and having to play keyboards, having to play piano, you know, go and make a bass line for this and develop this form so it's uh i think because of the years we have i guess doing this somehow it's like in our brain maybe deep down there you know so you just have to dig in and and trust yourself that you're doing something okay <laughs> Yeah <laughs>
0: That's the the biggest part you just gotta gotta trust have faith yeah you gotta have faith <laughs>
1: <laughs> had before um, before adams had you guys previously worked together had you crossed paths in in your field
2: we we did that's like we we met i met joey in 2002 we i I came to Los Angeles to perform with a band called Smokey and Miho. And we end up in Joey's studio. And we did a couple of shows together. Uh, Morning Becomes eclectic and Skirball Center, I believe. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just developed this you know, I was like in awe to meet such a such an amazing drummer. And I was so impressed by his sensibility to the music uh, that I decided I want to be friends with this guy, even though I live in New York City, you know. So I used to come to Los Angeles and bug him and say, Joey, let's meet, let's hang," And, you know, and that's how we kept this friendship. And we made plans of, like, hope one day we can play together, you know, again, and that kind of thing. And then the opportunity happened with Adams for Peace, thanks to Joey, actually, who recommended me to, to join them. Uh, and then that led to Joe Moreau.
1: I'm very curious, how does a conversation like that play out? Actually, from both perspectives, Joey, when you're approaching Mara saying... I might have a spot in a band with Tom York and Flea. How do you kind of um, approach that conversation? And then Maura, how do you, I guess, or well, I imagine that you accept it, but as you said, you wanted to work with Joey again, but <laughs> yeah. How does, how does that kind of play out?
0: Um, yeah. Well, that, that was a very exciting prospect, you know, it's like, whoa, we could all do something really interesting together and, you know, um, I like. I, I was um, so um, inspired by Morrow's approach to, I mean, percussion, but really making music. So it's like, well, we could we could develop something that would be really cool and really unique, and you know, keeping in mind that Tom. Tom was thinking uh you know about electronic music and the the effects of electronic music but I think we were all interested in um you know what would happen if if uh if we were doing that live and acoustically and would that would something interesting come out of that um so In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, yeah, that was that was uh, very fortunate to be able to, you know, do that. And it was so cool. I mean, we I feel like we really um you know develop like my certainly my playing um changed so much and sounds that i uh you know imagined um I was able to you know experiment and realize stuff and um you know and and to be able to do that in that kind of a um that situation, you know, like we have, we both have free reign, like Mauro can do whatever he wants with whatever instruments as, as well as myself. So, um, and that, that would be, that's hard actually. Um, you know, if we got together, like the two of us without that, like, you know, that would be, it, it's, it's, it was one of the things that I think was so cool about it was, You know, we were, we were able to all like put aside, I I think it was a month, three or four weeks to just, you know, I mean, we were learning, we were learning material. We started out with, with, uh, learning material from Tom's solo record called the eraser, um, which was, you know, a way for us to kind of see what, what we would, we might come up with sonically but still, I mean, you know, we had every day for a month to to develop uh, a sound, and then t- and then go on tour. It was cool. Yeah. It, the record itself was uh, it was
1: sorry, still is incredible. It's a great record. Uh, speaking of tour, I am very curious because I know that sometimes. Um, with projects like this, where it is uh, like a mix of the organic and the um, electronic and everything else, and the fact that you're obviously both very busy gentlemen, you've both got your respective um, day jobs as well. Can we expect to see Blue Marble Sky on the road at any point? Maybe not in Australia, maybe not to see us um, with everything at the moment, but can the US expect any, any shows in support of the album?
2: Uh, well... It's not for the lack of, that both of us want to do that. It's just the logistics of it right now. It's, uh, it's a bit of a mess. Uh, you know, like, you can, I, I, I seen seen bands that are very established, like venturing out and playing shows, like Foo Fighters played uh, Madison Square Garden, you know, last week and Coldplay did some outdoor in in Queens. Uh, But as you know, these bands, you know, they, first of all, they have like a huge audience and they, they have the structure that's set up for both of us because of the, of being first a, a new band and a new record, we didn't have a chance yet to f- figure out exactly how we're going to be doing live, and I think we have some ideas, but it's not concrete. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's going to happen. You know, really hope it it, it happens because we've been doing these these videos that we play the parts and then we, we post on social media. And it's been so fun just to do that, you know, in order just to 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 relearn the songs, you know, in order to play them, you know, from beginning to the end, like in a live way. It's been great to do that. And you can tell that it would really work. It's just, you know, you have to cross this, this little bridge of this logistics during the pandemic right now. And yeah. hopefully we of can God. make to Australia. It would be an
0: incredible honor and would be amazing. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to just tour in Australia, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> we will gladly have the both of you, please. What was those festivals that you
2: mentioned before?
1: Big day out and uh, uh, yeah. Before we started recording, we were talking about um, the big day out, and um, Fringe. we do have the Fringe uh festival in Adelaide, um, and possibly Laneway, which would be a good fit for Joe Morrow, I think. Mm. Yeah, there's, be, um, there's,
0: ooh, yeah. Th- there's some festivals in, in Australia for sure,
1: yeah again we'll even if it's we'll throw one ourselves just to have you guys down here so <laughs> let's do it <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a verbal contract i've now got myself into a lot of trouble <laughs> we, we're <laughs> recording this right <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> um joey and Mora, would you be happy to talk about the playlist that you sent through
0: sure yeah I put in, uh, just to, you know, respect our, (laughs) our, uh, where we came from, (laughs) um, our ancestors, um, Adams for peace stuck to stuck together pieces. And I did, I did choose that because I felt like, um, um, a lot of the tracks you, I mean, even this track, you can't, you kind of can't tell what's. Played and what's elect, what's programmed, and the live sounds sound, um, they're processed so the you know the drums sound electronic even if they're not, and the as sometimes the percussion as well. But um, I just I always thought this this one um, captured sort of the the feel that Morrow and I had developed live, so. Um, And it's a, you know, I mean, I love, I love the whole album, um, but it's just such a cool, cool song. And then, and then I put on no air from, from our album, um, which is sort of my, uh, I mean, it just was some, I was just messing around with it as an initial idea that Morrow and I developed more later but um in i never really think about what i'm doing when i'm doing it but um in retrospect it was like wow i really um, <laughs> i guess i really owe a debt to like all of these this bands like uh can and noise and uh craftwork and others from germany in that time uh and so uh so then I put on a track from Noy and a track from Cluster. Um and then I and then I put in Houses in Motion as sort of a uh, another shout out to you know uh Morrow's involvement with David Byrne, and um it's such a big influence for me, but also to sort of uh I was thinking about John Hassel, who was just passed away and uh he's sort of like the to me the spirit of that track is is john hassel um and i think it it uh it also uh kind of uh i don't know brought brought him certainly when i was a teenager it brought him into uh uh my li- listening world, and I immediately went out and bought John Hassel records and collaborations that he did. And, um, okay, and then I put on some, uh, some George Ben and another kind of Tropicalia track, um, just to show that that's, I, I love those tracks. And then, uh, Oh, and then I added uh, an Ennio Morricone track that I love. Just a ra- random f- film score. Um, so, bec- oh, because Morrow um, had put on a Beck track <laughs> where we 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 <laughs> sort of years and years ago we did an homage to that Ennio Morricone or part of that Ennio Morricone. Um, Uh, what is it? It's a film cue. Um, So uh, that was, I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And I love the Ennio Morricone music so much. So, uh, Oh, and then I did, I put in, um, I can't say it properly, but Saudade de la, um, (laughs) which is, which is our, uh, you know, just an amazing song um, that Mauro kind of showed i think Morrow's. you said it it had been around for a minute but um but something that came about later in like towards the end of our our creative process of making this record and and then he said oh i'm gonna have my friend sing on this and i was like okay cool interested to know what that is and when it came back I, I think it was she just sent a demo and I was like can we just use the demo it's so good. Yeah. Joey was ready to mix her and voice. <laughs> it was so nice. Like oh my God it sounds it sounds so good but then it turned out she I I can't speak Portuguese and I don't think the lyrics were developed and she was singing into a laptop <laughs> microphone. <Yeah. laughs> but her her voice sounded so good; it didn't matter. Um, but uh, so anyway, those were my those are for, those are my uh, contributions. Some very solid picks there, very very
1: solid. Mario, what Thank about you. yourself? My, uh,
2: I start from there. Is this guy, Bill Cure? This guy Bill Cure? Track num- number nine. I. I, I well I I recently I mean maybe ten years ago I discovered this record and and I fell in love with the sound of the drums on that because it's I, I think the whole record is something very dry and it's it's in your face and and and, and the, the the tuning of the drums also it's very, you know, I'm sure they put tape and uh, and the sound of the bass it's very pointy so everything about the sounding of that recording is is, is great and, and the songwriting is phenomenal so it's a record from 1974 uh, it, it just shows that I think some people in Brazil really know how to back then really know how to to get sounds and, and, and have a nice aesthetics. uh then I I'm a big fan of Sakamoto and and that record uh the, the Yumi no Yumi, it's uh it's very pop you know it's like a really pop uh record but it's, it has such a twist and, and and was I think was made in early 80s and I think it's a genius you know uh, then I, 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 I got River Deep because it's another, it's just like a, a marvelous orchestration by by that producer. Uh, Phil Spector. Phil Spector, it's just like, and, and the idea of taking the whole orchestra, the whole thing, which is like a hundred musicians, Sending to a chamber and recording with two channels, you know, the, the 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 output of the chamber and then having the singer sing on top of that. It's just like who does that kind of thing? You know, it's just so magic and crazy, and, <laughs> and the sound that you get is just so amazing. And then Tina Turner singing is just like oh wow, it's powerful. Henry Mancini, I love that song, Lou John. Uh, I've, I've been playing Mancini for, for my daughters, you know, like, because it's funny music and, and I fell in love with that track and has a very subtle, uh, uh, a jaw, a, a a burrow jaw in there as a backbeat. I don't know if you can notice, has like a marimba bass line. So, and, and, and the melody is just like incredible very inspiring uh, then what we have uh, oh Cornelius it's another Japanese I, I, I went in the Japanese phase in here this, besides Cornelius and Pizzicato 5 and Sakamoto of course Pizzicato 5 there is the, 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 the beat for a song one of our songs in Blue Marble Sky called Water Lilies, the very first beat. It's I, I totally stole from to Five because it's such a such a cool beat. Then you know, back paying homage to my friend Joey Warneker, his <laughs> drumming is phenomenal on that track. Uh, <laughs> David Byrne, this track Glass Concrete and Stone, has for me one of my <laughs> favorite David Byrne. Lyric line, which is, it, he says something like "skin that covers me from head to toe, except a couple of tiny holes." <laughs> I think that's like so funny. Every time he sing, and, and we were playing this show on Broadway, and he was singing that song, and every time he sing that line, I just crack, you know, because it's like <laughs> it's <laughs> great. And, and uh, <laughs> I, I, it's a track that I record the percussion, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think it's it's very simple, you know. The I did the whole track, and and but very I, I don't know. I feel I feel proud of it, so I, I just want to show off. <laughs> and of course, yeah, that's it.
1: I'm curious to, to either of you, I imagine obviously with the wealth of, of knowledge, uh, music knowledge that you both have, how often do you find that you bring new music to one another? That, that like uh, that either one of you can be like, Hey, have you heard this band and that they haven't heard it, that it is new music to them? I don't
2: think we ever done that. Have we, Joey?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no oh, I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, i know um uh, i i've been i've had a lot of guilt f- about that that i don't really search I'm, I'm just i'm not one to search out a lot of new music or, well it's, that's been going on for a while um and i think it's i think it's a uh it's a strange kind of like uh, uh symptom of streaming where like you know at the beginning it was like oh this is so exciting i'm going to find all this great new music again. And I'm, this is thrilling. And then, you know, two years later, you're like right back to the things you were listening to when you were 14 because <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> uh, but, um, but um, I'm, now I'm like, that's okay. Cause I love music and I enjoy it. And, and I, I actually did hear new music recently. <laughs> for the first time in a long time um that's uh i was like oh i should tell maro he would he would dig it um my friend was working with this crazy band that does tiktok videos (laughs) from japan (laughs) called um uh god i may have to look up their name i'm gonna say it wrong but it's like uh, okay. Wait a minute. Let me just look it up. Sorry, that guys. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, they're great. Yeah, I'll send you some of their. I almost put one of their tracks on, um, on the playlist, but it, it didn't quite fit. Um, but they're 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 called. Well, they're called. God, I hope I'm saying this. Right, um, Atarashi Gakko. Um, I don't know if you've Atarashi heard of them Gaku. or um, Gak- Atarashi Gakko, G-A-K-K-O like G A G A K K O, and they're like um, really, really fascinating. And um, I think all well, all the songs that I've heard are it's almost, they're very like critical of pop, Japanese pop culture. Like, you know, why do we have to be cute as girls? Kawaii, like, why do we have to do that? And, and um, you know, the fu- future looks bleak kind of lyrics, but really creative. <laughs> and and um, their videos are really, really inspired and creative. Um, and um, the music is all kind of like, reminiscent well like my friend who's doing some of the music for them is uh money mark who's like from who's <laughs> part of the beastie boys so their music has this yeah. sort sort of like um 90s alternative um but kind of you know kind of punk rock in a weird way um at least that's you very, know aesthetically
1: very cool yeah anyway that's very cool I'll, I'll make sure we um, I'll look for them and I'll make sure we put the uh, the link to their TikTok in, in the show notes as well so that <laughs> um, everyone can have a listen <laughs> um,
0: yeah I think I think they're doing quite well
1: <laughs> Maro and Joey thank you very much um, for your time today I do appreciate and congratulations on Blue Marble Sky again
0: thank you so much what a pleasure talking to you Simon yeah thanks Simon it's really great
1: And that's our show. A massive thank you to Joey and Mauro for their time. Blue Marble Sky is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to stream the record. We also want to give a huge shout out to Connor at Next Wave Management for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of Joey and Mauro's picks. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday and Friday morning with guest playlist streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Until next week, cheers.